Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. On today's episode, one of our listeners writes in and they have a great question. And the question is this, what are principalities and powers in the Bible? What a great question. Principalities and powers occur at least six times in the King James uh, Version. Other translations render it as rulers and authorities or forces and authorities or rulers and powers. And where the phrase appears, the context refers to the vast array of evil and malicious spirits who make war against Christians. Satan's principalities and powers are in view. It brings uh, beings that wield power in the unseen realms to oppose everything and everyone that belongs to the Lord. The first mention of principalities and powers is in Romans 8, 37-39. And this passage teaches that the victory of Christ has won over all the forces that raged against the people of God. Christians are more than conquerors because no, no force, nor life, death, angels, demons, and nothing can separate them from the love of God. And powers refers to those with miraculous powers, whether false teachers or prophets or the very demons that empower them. And whatever they are, nothing can separate God's people from God because victory is assured because of the finished and sufficient work of Jesus Christ alone. And these principalities and the powers are also mentioned in Colossians 1.16. And there, Paul makes it clear that the Lord is creator and ruler over all authorities, whether they submit or rebel against him. And whatever powers these evil forces have, they, they're not out of the control of a sovereign Lord who uses even the wicked to bring about his plan and his purposes. In Colossians 2.15, Paul teaches about the superior power of Jesus over all powers. And the powers here are created by Christ and are under his control. They're not to be feared because a cross has disarmed them. And Jesus, in his death, took dominion from these powers when he took back what they captured. Now Satan and his legions had invaded the earth and drawn humanity into captivity, subjecting them to their evil reign. Christ, by his death, subdued the invaders and recaptured those who had been defeated. Colossians 2.14, speaking of the finished work of Jesus, tells Bible readers that Jesus was nailed to the cross along with the charges written against sinners. And so the record of wrongdoing, which Satan accuses sinners before God, is nailed to the cross of God it, where, where it was destroyed. And the powers can no longer uh, even accuse the people of God for their innocent in the eyes of God. See, the death of Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. And in Ephesians three ten through 11, it focuses on the heavenly realms of the principalities and powers. In Ephesians three ten through 11, the angelic hosts are being shown God's wisdom and God's purpose and the plan of God in Christ. Both holy and unholy angels witness the glory of God and the preeminence of Christ above creatures in the church those who are saved and preserved by the power of God. Ephesians 6.12 describes the warfare in which Christians are engaged. Having been saved, every Christian must continue to do good in light of the victory promised by God's word in Romans 8. 
though they face an army of dark powers who have been disarmed from real power and against whom they have been uh, been promised victory. Still, every Christian, you see, is to demonstrate and to even depend upon God's power and wisdom and can do this by trusting in the finished and sufficient work of Jesus Christ alone. And so Titus 3.1 is the final reference to principalities and powers. Titus 3.1, it refers to those powers as governmental authorities, those whom the Lord has placed over people for their protection and welfare. These authorities are the representative of God on earth, and submission to him involves submission to these authorities. And so those who rebel against earthly authorities, Romans 13.2 says, are rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And the main lesson that we need to understand from all of this comes from Matthew 4, 11 through, 1 through 11. Excuse me. And this is where Jesus' use of Scripture is given against Satan. And Jesus quotes here from Deuteronomy in Matthew 4, 1 through 11 in order to fight against Satan. Every Christian must study to show himself or herself approved as a workman not ashamed, able to handle and interpret the word of God with precision and with care. Now, Jesus quotes scripture and says, it is written four times in this passage. How do you fight against sin and temptation? Do you quote scripture related to your specific temptation and struggle against sin? Or do you rely on yourself? You see, Jesus gives his his disciples an example of one who fought against sin and Satan by quoting scripture. In fact, after quoting scripture four times, Matthew 4.11 says that the devil left him. James 4.7 and 1 Peter 5.8 are instructive for Christians because they teach the importance of humility and submission to God. So the Christian who rests in the finished and sufficient work of Christ will be able to fight against sin and temptation and make much of Jesus in and through their lives. And so the only way that the Christian can ward off Satan's accusations and attacks is to go back to their identity in Christ alone. That means as the Christian grows in Christ, they increasingly grow in the knowledge of who they are already in him, adopted, redeemed, sanctified, but not yet glorified, which grants them the ability to stand not perfectly in the grace of God. Now, I want to be clear here, knowing a lot of the Bible, even being able to recite the scripture from memory, these are very good tools in uh, the Christian's toolkit uh, in their battle against sin, Satan, and the world. However, these tools are often treated as ultimate in spiritual warfare when they're not. The, the message that contains God's power to save and to sanctify is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means only the gospel and not a tool is ultimate. The gospel calls believers away from self and to Christ, to put off the flesh and to put on Jesus Christ. The identification of the Christian with Christ in his death and resurrection frees them from hypocrisy. And so the Christian can be who they are in Christ. You see, the failure to appropriate who we are in Christ, it exposes our attitude towards sin, which demonstrates our apathy towards it. Let's be honest. Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he never sinned. This means that as his followers, we ought to look to, meditate upon, and run to the cross daily. See, Jesus' use of scripture in spiritual warfare demonstrates that Satan is no match against the word of God. The word of God testifies to the truth about who Jesus is 
and what he's done in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so Christians ought to, to take what they know about Scripture and appropriate that knowledge into their daily lives as they fight against Satan, sin, and the world. Believers ought to do battle every day, even every moment, against sin, the flesh, and the world. Which means every day, every moment of every day, we need to preach the truth from God's word to us, to ourselves, about who Jesus is, and what he has done, and how he has revealed himself in scripture. And the believer needs to do this, to preach the gospel to themselves, so they'll be able to resist sin when tempted, and stand in the grace of God. So you see, Jesus' engagement with Satan in the wilderness and his use of Scripture is very instructive to Christians on many fronts. First, Jesus teaches believers they can overcome by appropriating the truth of who they are already in him. And second, Jesus teaches the supremacy and the sufficiency of his word by speaking the truth of his word in confronting Satan. Thirdly, Jesus' use of Scripture calls believers to use the word of God to expose the inconsistencies and the errors of Satan and his followers, pointing them to Christ alone. Fourthly, Jesus' use of Scripture is instructed to his people because he alone grants his people the gift of his righteousness. And the Holy Spirit may illuminate his word to them individually as they read and as they study it, and corporately in the context of the local church as believers gather to hear the word of God preached. Finally, in the desert, Jesus demonstrates that only the word of God provides the fount from which believers can draw from to put sin to death and put on the Lord Jesus in all of life. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.